Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. Here at Queer Pressure Podcast, we like to give everybody a heads up so they know what kind of content they're walking into. On this week's episode, we talk about homophobia, code switching, being in the closet, domestic abuse, infidelity, police brutality, racism, and the current Black Lives Matter protests. If that's not the kind of content you want to listen to today, no problem. We'll see you on the next one. And for the rest of you, welcome to episode 11, Pariah. Hi, everybody. I'm Maddie Gray. And I'm Katherine Johnson, and you're listening to Queer Pressure Podcast. We are so, so stupid. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. It's fine. We are so glad you've decided to join us. Queer Pressure Podcast is a critical exploration of queerness in media as an act of radical self-love. Obviously, we've taken a bit of a break here. I think it ended up being like six weeks off. <laughs> yeah, way longer than we intended. Um, we were going to take two weeks off and that was going to be for like my birthday and stuff. And the day of my birthday was the Minneapolis riot. Mm-hmm. and uh, life's been really weird for a month. I live in Portland, and Madison lives in Seattle, which are yep. two, you know, <laughs> uh, epicenters of commotion going on. But I'm obviously, I'm not working still, and uh, a lot of my close friends aren't working still, so we decided to treat the protest as if it were our full-time job, where we take two days off a week and go and just do everything we can and it's become our whole fucking lives and so yeah investing in you know clothes for tear gassing and shit like that <laughs> it, it's been a very very weird month i don't recognize myself a month ago because i feel like a completely different person now but and then obviously see uh madison lives near the chop mm-hmm. <laughs> so... I, in fact just about a year ago i moved from the chop neighborhood <laughs> um so I've been down there a couple of times. I was out protesting before CHOP was established. And then once CHOP was there, there was kind of an occupied protest there. But kind of the vibes got very strange. It feels very white person festival vibes now. Um, and now there's been Shoot. four shootings. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, have not made an appearance down there lately. Yeah. Portland, like we we had an autonomous zone for a night. And that was honestly <laughs> the peak of the protest. But um, the violence has not stopped in Portland for a second. It's been police brutality every single night against protest- protesters. The other night, they pepperballed us for literally nothing. I know everyone always says that, where it's like they're, they're pepperballing us, they're tear gassing us for no reason. We're just protesters. But in truth, like they use the fact that one person has thrown a bottle like a plastic bottle as a reason to uh, vi- to abuse a large group of people who they know are not the people who threw the bottle. Yeah. Um, but like the other night, it's ramping up to a point that uh, some man had jumped over the fence. A white man had jumped over the fence, was tagging the side of the building, was two feet from their door that they could have just jumped out and grabbed him. But instead, they sent out about 10 police officers and they just wailed on us with pepper bullets and... Luckily, I didn't get hit because I was. We were up at the front, but that's how it is every night, and mm-hmm. it's just it's just violence, violence, violence. I'm uh, getting weird now because like the first night I saw somebody like with the, with like injuries, like I couldn't sleep, and now it's just kind of like what it is. Yikes! It's just kind of yeah, and I don't I don't know what the future holds if this is gonna keep going, but uh, I'm here to be a foot soldier and just do what I'm told to do by the BIPOC leaders of. Portland. Mm-hmm. Anyways, <laughs> I kind of went off topic there. Um, but I thought it was good to address that. Like, what's been going on in our lives? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind uh, of how our podcast is going to change because yeah. of our involvement here. Yeah. Uh, but so we took like a month off for that because that felt much more important than any personal things going on in our lives. Um, yes. And eventually we got talking about what is the next step for our podcast that we've now taken six weeks off of, that we were only supposed to take two weeks off of, because I do believe even now a month later, uh, white people really shouldn't be self-promoting, maybe to a certain extent, but not like before. I think we should still be using the stage for people of color for a while. Mm -hmm, It's the fucking least we can do. (laughs) 
that blackout Tuesday shouldn't have just, you know, been a day. Uh, and so we were like, what does this mean for our podcast? Because obviously we are both white um, yeah. and and live in two of the whitest cities in the country. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. so the options were to just not do the podcast anymore because it is an act of self-promotion for two mm-hmm. white girls. Uh, and we thought maybe that's not helpful. Surely it's more helpful to discuss queer media and so then the other option was for the foreseeable future to only cover media that is featuring or created by people of color yes uh specifically black people um so for at least the next five weeks we'll see how we feel after five weeks but we have five weeks planned of uh queer movies featuring black people i don't know a lot about black film history but we're gonna Forkin' learn. We're gonna learn, yeah. <laughs> and that's no one's fault but my own. Um, but we're gonna also the U.S. education system. But I was about to say, yeah. What about the education system? Though? <laughs> yeah, it's not like they really taught us about uh, black movies in school when I got my film degree. But right. uh, yeah, so for at least the next five weeks, would love if everyone joined us to learn. Because one thing I did notice, because I was looking at like our numbers while we were on a break, we've only done one movie about specifically uh, black women and it was tangerine mm-hmm. about black transgender sex workers and it has like the lowest numbers of any of our episodes i know i noticed and, that yeah and then uh our highest is portrait of a lady on fire and that did really get <laughs> which is white women which yeah which i didn't think about before but now it, it really bugged me because everyone's talking about supporting black lives matter and i was like it's awesome because we did this episode about this really great movie that everyone should see and it's like the, our least popular episode so right. i just want to like really try and convince anybody listening now to actually take an active step in watching these movies um mm-hmm. because they tangerine is one of the best movies we've done it's a fantastic it's movie. A really I, it is movie. certainly better i think portrait of a lady on fire is really good i think tangerine is better mm-hmm. and if you had to have watched one of them i think you'd be a more well-rounded person watching tangerine it's also just more fun to watch it's a fun movie it's way more fun for sure way more fun please everybody come watch all these black movies with us put your money where your mouth is let's watch some great queer black movies hell yeah that's my very lengthy intro that in the script was only supposed to be like three lines but i talked for five minutes but what do we expect from me which i can appreciate because yeah it is really important for us as white women to be using the little platform that we have to be lifting up black voices and black art as much as we can all right so without further ado Catherine, portrait of a lady on fire what uh pariah (laughs) i was actually gonna ask what are you drinking this morning oh uh (laughs) coffee yeah bitch i'm drinking lemonade and a little glass of orange musket because who doesn't need some white wine at 11 20 in the morning uh me well yeah you have a covid test today you can't have anything fun i just it hit me this morning when i was like just making coffee and i was like i used to have alcohol every time we started that's Mm -hmm. bonkers right i don't want to drink before noon (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I'm only having a little glass because I I don't want to be drunk throughout the day. Because I'll be drunk all day. And this yeah. is coming from someone that when I was 22, I would wake up, I would make coffee, and I would put Kahlua in that coffee, and I would stay drunk all day. Ooh, boy. So post-COVID me was like, why would I drink so early in the day? I, drinking has to be the last thing you do in the day. <laughs> If you do it at all during the day, it's the last thing to help you get to Betty by because you're really riled up from protesting. (laughs) It's what we call a nightcap. All right. So let's actually talk about Pariah now, shall we? Pariah is a 2011 American drama film written and directed. That's the year we graduate. Sorry. (gasps) That's true. I did not even think about that. How do you not think about that? Whenever I say 2011. Yeah, we graduated well, in 2011. Well, because you weren't supposed to. Written and directed by D. Reese, it premiered at the 2011 Sundance Film Festival, and it was awarded at the Excellence in Cinematography Award. It was executive produced by Spike Lee and stars Adapero Aduye, Pernell Walker, Asha Davis, Kim Wayans, and Charles Parnell. It's a feature-length expansion of D. Reese's award-winning 2007 short film, also called Pariah, and it won... 
a lot of awards. The African American Film Critics Association gave it Best Independent Film, Best Breakthrough Performance for Adepero Aduye. Black Reel Awards gave it Best Breakthrough Performance for Adepero Aduye. She did really give a good performance. She did um, Black Film Critics Circle gave it Best Director for D. Reese, Best Original Screenplay for D. Reese, Best Independent Film, Best Breakthrough Performance for Adepero Aduye. And the... Oh, there's two more. <laughs> the 44th... <laughs> NAACP Image Awards gave it uh, Outstanding Independent Motion Picture and GLAAD Media Awards gave it Outstanding Film. It has a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. If you're wondering what the Metacritic and the Rotten Tomatoes is, I remember. Oh, do you? Yeah, it was like 7.8 or 7.9 on Metacritic and 95 on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it was 79% on Metacritic and 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's correct. Are you impressed with me? I'm very impressed. You have a very good memory. I don't. (laughs) I just remember that. So the plot of this movie, teenage lesbian Alike embraces her identity in secret while on the lookout for her first love with her out and proud best friend Laura at a local lesbian club. Alike's overbearing mother, who despises Laura, because for context, Laura is like very butch, um, Mm -hmm. presses her to befriend a church friend's daughter, Bina, and after an icy introduction, there is a spark between them. Those sparks fly and soon fizzle out. Alike is forced out of the closet during a confrontation between her parents and flees, deciding to move out, graduate high school early, and move on to college in order to be free. And did you know this movie was made for $500,000? Holy hell. So at the beginning of every episode, we like to do this thing where we take the problematic parts of the movie Um, address them at the top and then set them aside so that we can look at the movie's, you know, good attributes as a whole. Catherine, did you find anything problematic in this movie that you would like to share with the the rest of the class? Uh, Her dad's a cop. Ooh. Oh, I wanted to say this at the beginning. Uh, Fuck 12. All cops are bastards. If for some reason of our like three listeners, one of you is a cop, Get a real job. <laughs> Your job isn't me. real. Yeah. Okay. And it's certainly not an identity, so don't you ever come at us with Blue Lives Matter. the thin <laughs> blue line. Oh, they're scaring me with water bottles. Um, the Seattle Police Department uh, posted on Twitter that protesters were, set, were throwing IEDs. Uh, improvised explosive devices. I was like, IUDs? Like, no, IEDs at police officers, but then took pictures of it and posted it on Twitter. And turns out it was just vigil candles that they had stomped over because they rushed the protesters. (laughs) Anyways, the movie. So yeah, her, her dad's a cop. And I don't know if it's just that I don't watch a lot of black media, but I feel like I black dads are cops in tv shows at a disproportionate rate to white people oh interesting like i forget which one if it's like family matters or one of those the dad's a cop and like well now i have absolutely no examples because i was gonna look it up and i didn't but (laughs) oh but i mean this isn't the best example but like looking at something like brooklyn 99 oh um, sure which is like the great grandchild of the office because you have the office and then you have like parks and rec and then you have brooklyn 99 is kind of the same group doing all those and you can obviously see the structural similarities in all of them and you look at like the office and there's one black character and he's certainly a side character uh you get to parks and rec and there's one black character and she donna is certainly a side character until Mm -hmm. she becomes a little more important later because she was so uh well liked but she doesn't have the same importance as the white characters and then you come to Brooklyn Nine-Nine about cops, and there's only, like, a couple white characters on that show. Like, the chief of police is black. I wish I had looked it up because I was like, oh, I've noticed this, um, and I didn't look it up. Right. What do you think they're trying to say with, like... I, I don't want to speculate because, obviously, I'm not educated about this. This is just, like, a I feel like, and I can't even okay. give good examples. 
because I mean, I'm rewatching 30 Rock right now, and it's so much more racist than I remember it being. Mm -hmm. So once I finish it, I will not be watching it ever again. But even in that show, they come up with a fake show within it to pitch, and that was about a black family where the dad was a cop. Huh. Yeah. Maybe this is something we watch out for moving forward. Um, Trope of, you know, black Mm. dad cop. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Into the Spider-Verse. The dad Mm -hmm. is a cop. Yep. I just feel like it it happens more often. Proportionately. Like, I'm not saying that, like, it happens all the time. Just proportionately because there is not a lot of, like, black mainstream media. You know, because most shows, especially, like, say in, like, 2011, don't have a lot of black characters. Except... Law and Order, obviously, you know, had, like, uh, Ice-T and, Mm -hmm. uh, like, a lot of cop shows would have more diverse casts. And so I don't know if it's just because um, those are larger, like, ensemble pieces and so they have more diverse casts or they were trying to, you know, represent things more realistically because obviously there are, when you look at a police force, there are people of all colors. Part of me does wonder if it's, like... Because it gives validity to a black person, a black character that shows that like, oh, this person isn't what you think of as a black person. What like racist. Oh, interesting. You know, or if it's like, the this other is way. a lawful black person. Or if it's the other way where it's yeah. like, this isn't an evil cop. Interesting. So I don't know. Because obviously I didn't do any research. We'll keep an eye out for this going forward. But it was something I noticed. Her, so... We have we barely talked about the movie, but her dad is a cop in the movie, and it's not uh, very important to the plot line at all. It's just that no, I think it's, they it's mentioned just a passing that he, detail. I think they mentioned that he didn't want to be a cop. I didn't catch that, but um, I did catch that at some point she's telling him that she likes somebody or somebody likes her, and she's like, wh- and he asks, "What's his name?" I'll look him up in the system. Very early, he when he's oh my god champion when he's eating that giant plate of spaghetti and asks for beer to Ooh. have with it at it 11 in the morning and Ooh. she's like it's 11 in the morning and he's like it goes with the spaghetti and i was like that's true dude yeah he's, but, he's uh, right also he she, just worked at graveyard so give him a yeah. beer i think she had said something about like the job and he was like no i don't have to work um this job to pay the bills but to keep going out for dinner and have designer yes, clothes in the that. closet then yes i do I, like we discussed this so the what i kind of got from that was he didn't necessarily want to be a cop it was more to do with um this theme coming from the mother throughout the movie of wanting this perfect family unit anyways the movie because i went off on a the weird tangent movie so this movie deals with a lot of different things um for instance you've already kind of brought it up is like the mother's obsession with a perfect family unit this movie deals with identity. It deals with, you know, family troubles, navigating the world as a lesbian among straight girls. Mm-hmm. Lots of really good, meaty, juicy things. Where do we want to start? Well, the last thing you said there, like navigating the world as a lesbian among straight girls. The other theme of this movie is supposed to be very dualistic. Uh, that not only does she, because is she a pariah amongst straight girls, she's a pariah amongst lesbians because she doesn't quite fit in with the uber butch lesbians of the group and Mm -hmm. that's where we first meet alike is she is at uh, a a dance club she's 17 and she's with her friend and these are very very butch lesbians and she kind of stands out because she's not quite that butch but she's trying to figure out her identity and we follow them on the bus back home and her friend Laura really wants to get off at her stop to make sure she gets home safe. And Alike is really like, no, get off the bus, get off the bus. And she gets off the bus and we find out why she was trying so hard to get her friend off the bus was because she had to do a code switch before she got off the bus. Exactly. She had to take off all of her butch outfits and put on this like girly form-fitting shirts and earrings and like take off her do-rag and everything so that she could go home. Um, because she's so living, start- she's oh, living these two identities, but she doesn't necessarily. Neither of them are necessarily her, which does happen to like a lot of lesbians at first. That you, um, you know, everyone shaves the side of their head when they come out, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I sense. And now I'm like, I would never shave the side of my beautiful hair. What you know? But um, 
it's kind of that thing where you're like, I have to do this to fit in, even though it's not necessarily you yet, but you haven't figured you out you out yet. Right. So what you're pointing at is Alika has these really two distinct identities that she's dealing with, um, and neither one is truly her. So one that she feels more connected to um, and presents to the outside world as, and one that she must maintain in order to keep the peace at home. Yeah. So she suppresses her real identity at home and then like pushes it up in public and then hides those separate identities from everyone in her life. So she has this butch identity. A butch is a lesbian whose appearance and behavior is seen traditionally as masculine. And Alike, the way Alike dresses, I've noticed throughout this movie, is very tied to the people around her. So when she goes out to the club with her best friend, Laura, Alike, Alike dresses extremely butch. And she, like you said, changes her clothes in secret before she gets home in order to pacify her mother. Yeah, like when she gets to school, she changes. When she's leaving school, she changes. At home, she has more of a what I would say lipstick personality or lipstick identity. Not not saying that like she's presenting as a lesbian at home because lipstick means a lesbian who favors more glamorous Femme. traditional femme styles. But also, does it feel kind of childish, her style at home to you? Because oh, extremely. Yeah, I mean, because so these people are our contemporaries because this coming out in 2011, I was 20, I was 17 in 2011. She would have been like a year younger than me because she was a junior, but we're about the same age as these girls. And I didn't, I obviously presented Femi in high school and I didn't dress as young as she did. There's like the, a lot of these like bright pink shirts with like glitter right. and like little sayings on them, like stuff you would have worn in like middle school because I th- there's a big implication that her mother is still buying these things for her. And so mm-hmm. she's probably still seeing Alike as like when she was younger and didn't have these, I guess, tomboy tendencies is what she keeps calling them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So throughout the story, it becomes abundantly clear what kind of woman Alike's mother wants her to be. She compliments all of the outfits that she wears that have sparkles or say angel and even goes so far as to gift her with this extremely frilly magenta sweater, which she then forces her to wear to church, even though it's totally obvious that Alike is much more comfortable in like slacks and a button down. Yeah. But neither of these identities are what Alike's true identity is. Her real identity lies somewhere in between or either or even like outside of the feminine masculine binary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her style kind of evolves throughout this film into something that's neither butch nor femi. But in finding out who she is through this coming of age coming out story, she settles on this more neutral style and kind of figures out who she is. Yeah. So on that, something really interesting to me. We've talked about kind of because things are so delayed in like occurring in the lives of gay and lesbian people, especially still when we were young, like you didn't really come out in high school like yeah. some people do now. And so we have this kind of later adolescence <laughs> in our 20s. And finding ourselves out more. High school should be finding yourself out, right? You should be experimenting with clothes and uh, yep. your identity, what you like to read and watch and do and listen to, what kind of people you're going to be around, how much you're going to drink and smoke and what activities you like. So I want to talk about code switching because Please, yes. that's something that I had not really heard that term before before this month and oh really um no I'm sure I had heard it but it had never clicked with me and as I was hearing people talk about it I'm like that sounds like what we do that sounds so familiar that's like what we talk about on the podcast all the time um but I didn't want to do the whole like oh this is about me thing so I just kind of kept that thought to myself gotcha but I saw a post last night that was saying that for gay people it's called being in the closet for trans people, it's called passing. I forget what the other one was, but then also for people of color, it's called code switching. So it's the same. Mm-hmm. It's the same yep. thing. It's just a different word. So I can't completely understand it because the codes they're switching between are different. But I understand how mentally taxing that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can relate to it in a way that makes it real for you as well. 
yeah so somebody who doesn't code switch would hear it and be like that doesn't sound that bad but i i know how long it takes to recover from doing that mm-hmm. and it, i was just talking about this with my friend the other day we started talking about how we dressed when we were younger and I was telling her, like, <laughs> and I'm sure you remember my glory days, the first couple years of high school. Oh, yes. I, and I told her, like, I was telling my friend, like, I dressed really weird. And she's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, it didn't look good. Like, it looked weird. It wasn't, like, cool scene. It was weird. Like, I wore knee-high <laughs> neon green socks and, like, shiny shorts and <laughs> weird vest over bright pink shirts and, you know, like, weird and then that kind of got beat out of me by the time I was a junior and I just wanted to fit in. Right. And so I wore all these like dresses constantly and didn't understand why I always didn't feel good all the time. And I didn't know that that was anxiety and it was coming from being in the closet and not dressing the way I wanted to. It took so long to get back to dressing the way I want to. Like in right. college, I still was very plain, which is not a style. It was just a trying to fit in thing. Um, where now I, I wear a bunch of dumb shit all the time because I want to. And so that's a lot of lost time that I think people have. And I think that's what happens for Alike here because she isn't given the same um, freedom that most people would have to experiment with how they want to dress. You know, mm-hmm. uh, she has to do one or the other and neither of them are really her. And so it's delayed development, which, as we've talked about, will always lead to mental health issues later on yeah even if it seems like something small where it's like oh she can't dress the way she wants to will always lead to problems later on in life so i guess like this depression and anxiety so i guess the the diatribe i'm going on here is how important it is to dress the way you want to dress yeah and to experiment in a way that actually like helps you find you as opposed to what alike is doing here which is She's experimenting kind of with the fringes of that, you know, masculine feminine binary while having to keep each one secret from the other. So it's 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 so binary that she's not getting any chance to explore what's in between or on the outside. Yeah. Of that binary. Because and another theme of this movie that we have talked about a lot is um the the butch femi binary within lesbianism and how that's really harmful to people to not assume Mm -hmm. that there's anything in between those two and i think she's a victim to that as much as she's a victim to having to act completely straight at home that i think it's also really harmful to step into a group of gay people who say that like this is how you look gay this is how lesbians dress yeah i've certainly had lesbians in my life that were like you don't act gay enough and i was like you don't have to act gay what does acting gay even mean I know. Because if it's acting like, you know, a sapphic lesbian singing a Melissa Etheridge and talking about how much men suck, I don't want to do it. That's not me. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Don't get me wrong, though. I can belt out some Melissa Etheridge. I like talking about Star Wars and stuff. And <laughs> that means I have to hang out with boys. That doesn't make someone less gay. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that we see in this movie is um, family troubles in specific instances you know homophobia from your parents and let's be totally honest dealing with homophobic homophobic parents as a young queer person is really fucking hard Mm -hmm. and it requires this like unique layer to the journey of self-acceptance and self-love that queer people have to make homophobia from parents can sometimes lead to abuse like it does in pariah when Alike's mother screams slurs at her and then physically attacks her. Parents are sometimes homophobic. And I think it's important to understand where their homophobia comes from so that you can look at it from a, an objective point it. of view. So that you can be like, it's not about me, it's about them. Unravel it from the inside. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's a lot of the work that you know, break your parents you end up down to nothing and remake therapy. them from the ashes. So, for starters, Alike's mother is very religious. Apparently, the director, also the first-time director, uh, mm-hmm. Dee Rees, um, who is black, and I haven't seen anything that said explicitly she was a lesbian, but also it says autobiographical, so would assume. Yeah, I watched an interview where she said that she was coming out at the same time she was writing this. 
she apparently implemented some pretty unorthodox directing styles. Oh, what do you mean? Which ones are you referring to? She did uh, some weird rehearsals with the characters or with the actors where she would make them just like play a board game and character and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, and I think it worked really well because when we're talking about the mom, what's her the mom's name? Ash. Mom's name is Audrey. Audrey. Yeah. She, I think, was so well acted because yes. you just look at her and she doesn't have to say anything and you can tell that she's a sad person trying to pretend that she's fine mm-hmm. it's just so obvious like just and in the Kim way Wayans. she is one of, one of the wayans family she's a comedian this oh is one God. of her first like straight roles comedians are the best dramatic actors i heard I've... one time on tv <laughs> <laughs> just in the way she says something about like she's eating vanilla yogurt you can tell she's deeply unhappy (laughs) Mm -hmm. she's very religious and she has like really strict ideas of how her life is supposed to be based on that religion yeah and she forces her daughters into those boxes along with her and forces them to attend church with her every sunday i think another place that mom's homophobia comes from is misinformation so at the climax of the film alike's mother screams at the dad your daughter is turning into a man before your very eyes that is just a clear statement to me that she has no idea what she's talking about oh yeah for sure zero clue she has no exposure to lgbtq people and Mm -hmm. has never even tried to reach out to one I, even though she is religious, I didn't take that as, like, the primary what's driving her. Like, she doesn't, like, invoke Jesus often. No, no, no. It's more about the tradition of it. Right. Like, I think she's, like, religious. She likes to go to church and stuff. But it's not like she's like, you're sinning, you're sinning. I think it's, she comes so much more from needing a perfect family unit. Mm -hmm. And that's why the themes... Apart from that, um, there's a lot of time spent with her husband, her philandering husband, because I read an analysis that said one of the reasons she's fighting back so hard against her daughter not being this picture-perfect young woman, femi woman, is because it's just a reminder to her that her husband is also straying and the whole, everything's falling apart. And so the more she can just control and overpower her daughter feels like she's controlling and keeping her perfect family together yeah which comes right out as soon as so when alike comes home from her first love affair with bina and mom screams at her do you know what time it is why are you why are you so late like alike turns around and says i'm not dad i'm not your (laughs) husband so stop trying to control me like i am yeah One of the very good parts of this movie is, even though we've kind of just been mentioning the bad parts about her dad, that, like, he's he's a cop, he talks pretty shitty to his wife, he's having an affair. He has a good relationship with his daughter. Mm -hmm. He has a very good relationship with her. And he's the one who actually ends up warming up to her when she comes out. That, yeah, in fact, takes him a couple days. Yeah, it takes him some time, but I love that moment when she's like, I I hate that she's forced out of the closet, but she's a fictional character. So let's go with the suspension of disbelief. He says to her, like mom screams, you're a dyke, you're a dirty, rotten dyke. Yeah. And dad says, baby, tell her that's not true. Yeah. And she doesn't say anything. And he's like, come on, baby, just tell her it's a phase. And she goes, you know, it's not a phase. Mm hmm. Or she, she's like, you already know. And like, you can tell deep down, dad already did know. And so it's did mom. Of, it's kind of complicated because like, I was so sure my dad knew. And really? he didn't. I was so sure. So I really identified with her in that way where it's like, I was just convinced that like he knew. And the because fact how that- how could he not? Yeah. And more so than my mom. And uh, the fact that we still had a good relationship meant he was okay with it. And then later he said that he had like suspicions, but I was like, oh, I thought you knew. Like full on knew. And was just, were just waiting, you know? So yeah. um, 
I'd be interested, you know, how many people also had that experience of thinking that your dad knew and it turns out he didn't. I saw myself a lot in her in that way because she was looking at her dad being like, you know, you know, and it's like he he might, but he might not. Well, it sounds like suspicions, you know? Yeah, it's he suspected, but he didn't want it confirmed. Yeah. Like and his that- the mom early on tells him that he needs to talk to Alike about how much time she's spending with her out and proud friend, Laura, who's like very, very butch and mom hates her. Yeah. Dad kind of skirts around the subject. And like when Alike comes to him in the middle of the night, he's like on the phone with his mistress, as far as we can tell. And she starts saying things like, you know, how do you know somebody likes you? And he very, very intentionally, I th- I, I mean, maybe subconsciously intentionally steps in and says, what's his name before yeah. she can you know, reveal that this is a girl that she has feelings for. And I think telling yourself something, as evidenced by our current president, just Mm. telling yourself something is powerfully... I can't think of a word. It's It's very powerful. You can completely convince yourself of something. You can have a thousand reasons why you think she might be a lesbian, but then you say, oh, what's his name? And she doesn't argue back and say, no, it's a girl. And I think he was convinced. Yeah, that's, like, that's um, bias confirmation. Yeah. I think you just need, he just needed that little thing. And even if there was some part of him that like, quote unquote, knew, I don't think he knew. I think he just had suspicions and was convincing yeah. himself against those. But it's a different thing when your kid says, you know, and like all of your suspicions in that moment go, yeah, I kind of did though. I don't know. Like, I know. I can't say as a parent like that I've experienced that. That's how it always is in movies, but like it wasn't in my experience like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know people who like the parents just didn't know and were like, "I don't think so," you know. So like, I don't know that that is necessarily true that your parents deep down know. Because my mind sure fucking didn't. No, I, I I don't think that most of the time parents do. I'm I'm just saying that given the subconscious things he does. I think that his suspicions were deep-rooted in his subconscious. Yeah. And that, like, when she confirmed it, it, like, clicked. Yeah. But I but I wouldn't... But I think she is wrong in saying you already... Like, saying, you know this, you know this. Like, I think it's right. so easy to delude yourself into not believing something if that's what you want. Right. Yeah. Which is exactly what mom's been doing this whole time. Yeah. And him looking back, he'd probably be like, yeah, I always knew. But I think at the time he was completely like, no, 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 she has a boyfriend. And so we've kind of hit the climax of the movie. And what Alike must learn in this moment is that it's okay to like split from her parents' expectations and follow her own bliss by breaking down and then breaking free from the confines of her family home. This movie starts to touch on like navigating relationships with parents that you've broken away from. Um... At the end of the movie, Alike meets her mother and tells her that she loves her, even though her mother has hit her and screamed terrible things at her, to which her mother responds, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> it's, it's the gayest fucking thing. Ooh, that right. hurt my feelings. Because <laughs> like, that's you your fucking dad. bitch. Because that's yeah, your dad. Pretty yeah. much, pretty much. Uh, yeah. She also sets boundaries with her dad saying that basically making it clear that what she needs from him is for him to let her go in this case off to an early college program in writing because this girl's a real good poet she's, yeah she's an amazing poet and her poetry does a very good job of kind of you know explaining what's going on in the movie she has this poem about like drowning inside of a cocoon yeah that butterfly poem was real good. yeah i did think it was interesting that she obviously has a closer relationship with her father than her mother she's like a daddy's girl mm-hmm. and he only takes a couple days before he goes and finds her and says you know like we want you to come home and stuff and he doesn't say anything like we don't have to talk about it, you know that kind of thing like it seems like he's gonna he's gonna be open to figuring this out he just wants her to come home mm-hmm. uh but it doesn't affect her even though this is her favorite parent she's just kind of like nah i'm not coming home well, think about the betrayal in, like, he stood by and watched while her mother hit her. But then, like, the mother who enacted the ultimate betrayal, like, actually hit her. She's mm-hmm. desperately trying to get 
her mother's approval. And so yeah. I think that just speaks a lot to even if you're like you have a favorite parent, it's kind of it's the one that's like the nurturing one that, you know, has the most problem with it that you need the approval of to mm-hmm. feel comfortable in your own skin. It's not enough just to have the like, obviously, my dad's going to turn around because I'm his favorite kid. It's like right. you, you need the other one or it's just like, it, are they right? Is something wrong with me? Now's the time to talk about the most most relatable most um prominent in the movie i i don't know what the word is navigating the world as a lesbian among straight women yeah yikes 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 um so falling for a straight girl is a pretty universal or shared experience you knew you knew the second she wakes up and that girl's folding laundry it's like okay here we go (laughs) i know oh god that hurt like i knew it was like i didn't know for a fact i had suspicions that it was coming because she was so forward i know she was the forward one um so a lot of lesbians like fall for straight or bi curious women yeah and in pariah Alike only shows like real interest in two very specific women. One of them, or both of them, are uh, either straight or bi curious. Yeah. She goes out with one of them, but is too shy and uncomfortable to make a move because she's wearing a strap on and she didn't realize how uncomfortable it was going to be. <laughs> that was a very cute scene, I have to say. Yeah. Um, but the second one is a young woman called Bina, who is introduced to her by her mother after church. Her mother insists that the two of them walk to and from school together and then starts upending Alike's plans with, you know, Laura in order to, like, schedule play dates between her and Bina. Yeah. Because uh, not only is Bina's mother a church friend, but she's also mom's co-worker. And Bina is, you know, like, what mom would see as a regular femi teenage girl. A regular, I can... Can you see my air quotes? No, because we're in different cities. But then the two feel... So it starts off kind of icy. Alike doesn't really want anything to do with Bina because the way that they were introduced was through mom and she has a lot of complicated feelings about mom and about the way mom tries to control the way she dresses and presents. But then sparks start to fly. And then Bina's really, really forward. Yeah, she's super forward and super flirty. Seems like she's really confident in her skin. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like this isn't going to hurt your feelings at some point. Like, I was even kind of dumbfounded when it, she ended up being like every other girl in every other movie. I was like, oh, no. No, not every, Bina. Every teenage girl in every movie is always, or boy. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's the same trope in every movie is that, like, one of them ends up being like, no, 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 I'm straight afterwards. And obviously mm-hmm. has some own some of their own growing to do that we don't get to see and I think typically they would figure out that they either are bisexual or gay or something later on but it freaks them out at first and I don't so I don't believe in the concept of virginity virginity is made up it's not a real thing but Alike has her first sexual experience with Bina Mm -hmm. and the next morning she wakes up to Bina folding laundry and not doing the sign (laughs) not 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 cuddling not after caring nothing fun she tries to like initiate a conversation about like you know it's cool that we're together and Bina says oh we're not together I'm not gay gay and tells Alike (laughs) not to tell anyone about their fleeting romance (laughs) yeah which is a bummer but Alike bounces back like well she has like hours of crying she she trashes her she yells at her mom she trashes her room and she cries on the floor in her underwear yeah but (laughs) she bounces back um because the end of the movie ends up being so much more about her parents and her personal identity than about this fling because i feel like a lot of coming of age queer movies are about that same story it's always about the uh your your first fling and they ended up not wanting to be with you and wanting to pretend to be straight and Mm -hmm. then that destroys you in the end and i like that that wasn't the end of it it's something that happened because that happens to a lot of people but the the point of the movie was about her figuring out her identity Mm -hmm. bina was just a stepping stone in that yep 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 so what we haven't really talked about much even though we were like we're gonna do movies about 
uh, black characters and stories is that obviously everyone in this movie is black. Uh-huh. Um, and so I remember seeing commercials for Pariah when it came out, and I thought it was going to be so different. Now people talk about it like they say it's the female Moonlight, even though Moonlight came out years after this. But Moonlight certainly has, you see a lot more of like the ghetto and of like really entrenched poverty and uh, how the main character isn't able to get out of this like uh, cycle of violence and ends up becoming like a, a victim to something he can't get out of. And mm-hmm. as I was reading about it, a lot of people were saying this is around the same time that like Precious came out. So mm, yeah, a lot yeah, yeah. of... Uh, a lot of black indie movies are really, really about, um, you know, the systemic racism and the horrible situations that a lot of people are in. And this movie was not about that. It, mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be from what I remember in the trailer. And now I'm realizing how much, you know, as an 18 year old, I was just entrenched what I believe black people's lives are like. Um, mm. This was an entirely relatable movie. While I think it is important to have movies that show some of the like horrible situations a lot of people are stuck in because of uh, the justice system and you know everything stemming since 400 years ago. While that is important, it is also important to have these kind of movies that show that like we are all people and we all have the same problems. Mm-hmm. Um, because I these know problems transcend race, class, and gender. Yeah, and because I know that there's this understanding that it's harder to come out in the black community and i don't know a lot about that i don't even know if it's true i feel like i've i've seen enough like short documentaries from yeah. like people of color saying that um but you didn't get that in this movie it seemed just as difficult as it would be for any person who has a conservative parent um which i'm not trying to say like discrediting i'm just trying to say that this is a universal experience and right this wasn't playing up the fact that you know a lot of Black individuals do say that it is a lot Mm -hmm. harder to come out in the Black community. Um, But this movie wasn't, like, specifically pointing at that problem. Yeah, which I think does a really good service because right now, because obviously it's it's Pride Month, and Pride Month was, you know, canceled because of COVID. It's Gay Wrath Month now. It's Gay Wrath Month now, yeah. But I keep seeing people be like, you know, Pride's coming out the to celebrate Black lives, and we're giving, you know, Pride to Black lives. And it's like, yes, I see what you're saying, but that the implication there is that those are two different movements, um, right. which is er- erasing people of color who are gay. So they're not two separate things. It's not gay people and black people. Those are a lot of times the same thing. What's really interesting is that, like, I've been reading um, Queer Theory Now from Foundations to Futures by Hannah McGann and Whitney McHogan, or Monaghan, and kind of dissecting what queer theory really means and it means kind of anything outside of the the bits of society that have been normalized and actually race falls into that whiteness has been so normalized in our society that this black stories kind of are a part of queer theory regardless of whether or not they're queer stories yeah but i just it makes me so mad when people think it's separate that it's like you there's so much intersection and it gets so much harder for people who are intersectional and this is a movie about someone who is very intersectional but um it shows that her it's easy to follow it's like you can completely relate with all of it people need to watch more movies like this because i think absolutely the comparison that matt made was that i guess the way to put it would be that ladybird is a white version of this movie how I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen Lady Bird. Um, but yeah, Matt was saying that the the arc is very similar in terms of strained relationship with the mom. Why? Because she wants and to date th- Timothy Chalamet? I don't know. I haven't seen it. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> Should I bring Matt in here and tell him to tell us why? No, I'll just get annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, Timothy Chalamet is in it. Yeah, that's why everyone's in love with Timothy Chalamet was Lady Bird. Oh, boy. It was not Call Me By Your Name. That's not the one that made him the the hunkadunka of a generation. (laughs) You mean that the gay movie wasn't the one that got everybody? Yo, I have not been able to have, like, a peach or look at a nectarine. And (laughs) it's summer. And, like, 
<laughs> I've been going to all these Black Lives Matter events and they always have like free food and they always have like peaches and everyone goes to get peaches and I'm like you don't want to eat that and I've had to tell this story like 40 times now of Timothy That's Chalamet. a compricot. It's a compricot. <sighs> Anyways good movie. Good movie. Really like this movie. Four bananas out of four bananas. Four bananas out of four bananas. It's fun. It's an entertaining movie. Yeah. And yeah. the cinematography is really, really good. That Yeah. It won a lot of awards for cinematography. The cinematography is excellent. I, this just hit me because I s- saw people talking all the time about how they use a lot of blues and reds, which they think is kind of an homage to uh, Spike Lee, who was her like mentor, like do the right thing. They thought she was trying to emulate that movie. But also blues and reds, you know, are obviously opposites. And so maybe that has something to do with the dualistic nature of her inner conflict. Yeah, definitely. Two opposites. Yeah. Four bananas. Four bananas. Okay. Tis time. Oh, I don't want to do that. Too bad. (laughs) You have to read a nice thing. I don't want to. I forgot about this. Catherine's chest of nice things. <gasps> okay, so I have to read a nice thing about myself every episode, blah, blah, blah. One time, you and I stayed up all night to watch The Vampire Diaries, and then Stefan died. Spoiler alert, dude. <laughs> that show's been out for a long time. Yeah. I think people can handle the spoiler alert. Yeah, I was six in the morning, and I was crying because Stefan died, and I went to the bathroom, and my roommate was getting up for work, and I like looked him in the eye, and I was just crying, and I was like, Stefan died, and he's like, I don't care, and then he went to work. <laughs> You have been listening to Queer Pressure Podcast and our critical explorations of queer media as a continued practice of self-love with Katherine Johnson and Maddie Gray. Hey, you should like, subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes because you have no idea how much it helps small podcasts like us to get exposure for people to hear what you think of our podcast and maybe listen for themselves. You can also follow us on all of the social media we have a twitter we have an instagram and we have a facebook page all of those are at queer pressure pc once again that is queer pressure pc for podcast well thank you for listening everybody um stay safe out there if you're protesting i fucking Um, hate being told to stay safe do whatever you fucking want wear a mask but fuck everyone who's like stay safe stay safe like i mean like cover your face from covid I don't mean, like, don't get hit with pepper bullets because that's just going to happen. Everyone, anytime I'm, like, go live, everyone's like, stay safe, stay safe, stay safe. And I'm like, I'm already in danger. Like, there's no stay safe. Like, the cops get to decide (laughs) how safe I am, and they don't want to make me feel safe. So it's not my decision. Anyways, fuck the police. Good night. Bye.